From WSCFM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Justin Walsh. And I'm Lydia Blackstone. This is Politically Inclined from WUSC News. Coming up on this week's show, coronavirus is spreading throughout the Trump administration. Following the president's COVID-19 diagnosis, numerous employees in the executive branch, as well as some Congress people, have come down with the virus. USC political science professor Bob Oldendick is here to discuss the political implications of the diagnosis and what this means for the public opinion less than a month away from the general election. And the roller coaster surrounding the country's battleground states is speeding up as Biden holds narrow leads in the recent swing state polls, including Florida and Pennsylvania. President Trump easily won these crucial states in 2016, but the tides could turn in Biden's favor this coming election. We'll discuss the factors contributing to Biden's lead in the polls and whether we should even trust them. All that and more coming up in this week's episode of Politically Inclined. First, the news. Live from WUSC News, I'm Kaylee Olivas. Randomized testing for COVID-19 among USC students will begin this month in anticipation of a second wave of the virus. The testing will take place on Davis Field. As WUSC's Finn Carlin reports, incentives will be given out to those who get tested. On the verge of the flu season, university officials laid out their plans for future COVID-19 testing in anticipation of a second wave of coronavirus cases in Columbia. Deborah Beck, Executive Director of Student Health Services, explained that the new randomized testing plan would consist of roughly 15,000 USC students being randomly selected for the opportunity to get a COVID test on Davis Field. Students who are selected will reportedly be receiving incentives to get tested, such as free football tickets or other USC merchandise, as President Kaslan alluded to in his State of the University address last week. Beck said that students chosen for randomized testing will be receiving an email sometime within the four weeks in the month of October. Finn Carlin, WSC News, Columbia. The South Carolina Gamecocks played yet another tight game this past weekend against the Florida Gators. As WUSC's Cron Alston reports, the Gamecocks will take on the Vanderbilt Commodores this upcoming Saturday, October 10th at noon. This weekend, the South Carolina Gamecocks took on the Florida Gators in Florida, where the Gamecocks lost 38-24, to dropping their second SEC game in a row. The Gamecocks now look ahead to play the Vanderbilt Commodores next weekend. For WSC News, I'm Cron Alston. U.S. Senate candidates Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison's first debate took place at Allen University this past Saturday night. Both candidates spoke about the pandemic, socialism, and economics. The debate lasted about an hour without a live audience. Those that were in attendance were required to wear a mask and follow social distancing guidelines. Graham and Harrison are set to debate two more times before the election, with those dates being Monday, October 12th, and Wednesday, October 21st. President Donald Trump took to Twitter today, sharing the news of his discharge that will be happening within the hour. President Trump also encourages his followers not to let this pandemic take over their life. As WUSC's Trey Martin reports, President Donald Trump shows gratitude to his administration for their knowledge and the creation of great drugs. President Donald Trump announced that he would be leaving Walter Reed Medical Center at 6.30 this afternoon, according to a tweet sent from his personal account. The tweet also told readers to not be afraid of COVID and to not let it dominate your life. He then credited his administration for developing really great drugs and knowledge. This news comes after Trump was admitted into Walter Reed last Friday. This is Developing Story with more updates to come. I'm Trey Martin with WUSC News. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 465 points today. The Nasdaq rose 257 points, and the S&P 500 rose 60 points. It's currently 73 degrees outside, mostly sunny, with a low of 55 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 75, with a low of 63. I'm Keely Olivas, and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 6:04. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music, ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. 31% of traffic deaths involve drunk driving. If your friend had too much to drink, they don't have to drive. Here are three ways to keep your friend alive. Drive them home and be careful. Have your friends stay over. Or call a cab or Uber. You don't have to be a superhero to save a life. Be a bro, take their keys. Driving sober is the easiest way to decrease your risk of accidents. Good night. Brought to you by the Cool Kids. Stay cool, cat. What's my vote? No how, no way, no sir. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Uh, I can't even begin to understand why any sensible American would support such a travesty. Uh, definitely yes. Ketchup on a hot dog? <laughs> I vote no. <laughs> See, for Americans everywhere, voting comes easy. And for Americans voting absentee, it can feel just as simple thanks to FVAP.gov, where you can get the help you need to send your most important vote back home. You're listening to Politically Inclined from WUSC News. I'm Lydia Blackstone. President Trump's coronavirus diagnosis sent the political world into chaos as more people in his circle continue to test positive for the virus, with Press Secretary Kayleigh McNanny being the latest today. Members of the GOP say that they remain unfazed and intend to continue to fill, fulfill its duties, such as hold a Supreme Court hearings for nominee Amy Coney Barrett, despite some senators testing positive for the virus as well. To speak more about how the government is functioning despite numerous positive tests throughout its branches and the possible consequences on public opinion is political science professor Bob Oldendick. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Glad to be here. Yes, of course. First off, I just want to um, start with what was your initial reaction? I know we all woke up to the news of seeing President Trump um, has tested positive. What was your initial reaction? Well, I thought, what does this mean for the political environment? Because we know uh, that the coronavirus and the administration's response uh, to it has been a subject of controversy and certainly an issue that was going to be uh, a prominent one throughout this campaign. So, um, now that we know that the president and the first lady had it, uh, what impact was that going to have? So trying to get through the, uh, the ramifications of what that uh, illness would mean for the, what's going to happen on November 3rd. And what are some of those ramifications um, that's going to happen on November 3rd, in your opinion? Well, I think to answer that question, we need to maybe step back just a little bit and, and think about where we were last week at this time. We, it was the day before the uh, debate. And going into that debate, we were thinking about 
what are the issues that the two candidates wanted to uh, make more prominent. So the Biden campaign wanted to talk about the coronavirus. They wanted it to be an issue. Uh, they think that that's to their advantage and talk about the uh, response to the pandemic and how they think that the Trump administration has mishandled it. Uh, the Trump candidacy on their hand wanted to talk about the economy and the way it was coming back and the Supreme Court nomination and to a lesser extent law and order. And so when you think about that, I think the coronavirus, the fact that, that Trump has gotten it means that it's going to be an issue all the way through up to November 3rd. So at this point, we think that that's to the advantage of uh, the, the Biden campaign. Certainly, we've seen the president has tried to counteract that even today, um, late this afternoon, he tweeted out, you know, don't let the, you know COVID dominate your life. We can get through this. So they want to try to minimize that and, and focus it on other issues. But certainly, I've, the fact that the president did contract means that it, it's going to be an issue and one that he's going to have to uh, really work hard in order to overcome some of the disadvantages that it naturally creates given uh, where we are in the process. So let's talk about some of the polls happening after this. Do you think that in this campaign with him getting coronavirus, do you think that he's gotten any um, of a decrease in his polls or do you think he's maybe gotten a sympathy bump? What's that been like? Oh, there really haven't been enough time to have enough polls, particularly in the battleground states. Uh, where the the battle for the electoral college is going to be waged, um, the the immediate polls that came out really didn't show much of an impact. Uh, there are some people that you know, the, both the things that you mentioned that people say, well, you know, this is he should have could have handled this better, and so that made them less likely to support him. But there is some sympathy votes that I think are balancing each other out. So in the long run, I don't think that, or in the short run, it doesn't appear that there's been much of a bump in either direction and that's likely given that voting has already started given that most people have made up their mind i don't think that this is going to have a a major impact on the uh, ultimate uh, race on november 3rd gotcha and what you were saying is earlier is the president tweeted out saying feeling really good don't be afraid of covid don't let it dominate your life we have developed under the trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge i feel better today than i did 20 years ago um that news um encouraged a lot of, of voters but what do you think it mainly did well i think it revealed to us the the strategy and the way the president is going to handle this um he, since he first ran for the presidency in 2016, he's always wanted to maintain this image of strength. It's you know make America great again, strength against our foreign opponents. That it's it's always you know this is a great country, and that's not just for the country, but it's also his personal kind of image that he never wants to show weakness. So I think that the fact that he is. Uh, getting out of the hospital within 72 hours of going in, showing that he's really been a fighter and that, uh, you know, even something like the coronavirus, which is you know, obviously contributed to a lot of people's death, is just is, isn't going to uh, beat him. And he's going to uh, get try to get back on the campaign trail as quickly as he 
can maybe against the advice of some of his doctors and, and personal advisors. Yes, and quickly he will get back on that. He announced um, today he will be in the next debate. Um, so that was announced. Um, and so there's, he's not the only person um, that tested positive in the White House. Also, Kaylee McGanney today, many other, um, some senators kind of all over the place, um, but a lot of people have tested positive. Do you think um, the left, as a lot of them are saying, um, there's too many people, we don't need to proceed with the hearings um, for Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Do you think that it is unsafe to have those hearings? Or do you think with um, many other people saying, oh, no, we can we can do it safely? Which one of those do you think is correct? I think they can do it safely. I think that you know, the, the Judiciary Committee throughout the pandemic has been holding Zoom meetings that, you know, they don't have to all be in the same room. Uh, and even if they are together in one room, they can, uh, the, the hearing rooms in the Senate are big enough that the committee could, could spread out, wear masks, be socially distanced, all the CDC guidelines. And I, I don't think unless that uh, they, they are not able to get a majority that enough people are, are actually sick and in the hospital and, and really, you know, that uh, they'd be able to hold the hearing. So, um, you know, since the, the nomination was announced, uh, the Democrats have been trying to slow the process down. And this is a convenient way to say maybe we shouldn't do this. But the Republicans are certainly determined to go through with this. And I think uh, Senator Graham conveyed that in the debate on Saturday night as chair of the Judiciary Committee. He intends for these hearings to go forward starting next week. Gotcha. And um, the last question I have for you tonight is um, Trump posted a video saying he has learned a lot about the virus. And I mean, what better knowledge than having it? Um, But um, do you think that his um, him having it is going to change possibly the way that he handles coronavirus in the future? Do you think it's going to make him more serious about it or almost less because he's experienced it with mild symptoms? I think that he's going to maintain the stance on coronavirus that he's he's had throughout he's going to take this and you know, say that you know i've had it we see from this tweet earlier i've had it it's not that bad and focus on the vaccines all these things that we've done to kind of mediate the effects P- people aren't dying at the rates they were back in march and april on just say well, we make great progress and I'm kind of a living testament that that you can beat this, even though you may be 74 years old and have other conditions. So um, I don't think that uh, the tenor of the, the president's um, approach to coronavirus is going to be changed at all by this. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. That was political science professor Bob Olden-Dick. We'll be right back. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 30 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Politically Inclined. Biden continues to hold leads in polls for the country's biggest battleground states. Although they are narrowing, former President Barack Obama won these states easily in 2008 and 2012. 
but they went to President Trump in 2016. Is it possible that we that the Democratic Party could win them again? Or are these polls giving Biden hope, uh, hopefuls of the same expectations that Clinton fans had? Here to speak about that, what could be contributed to these poll results, and if they're trustworthy, is WSC political correspondent Stephanie Allen. Thank you. Stephanie, thank you for being with me today. Great to be here. Awesome. So let's just jump right into it. So um, first off, swing states, just to name a few, like Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and a few more, are now looking more in the blue as opposed to previous electoral vote, like as opposed to previous electoral voting results. What do you believe to be the primary cause of this shift? Right. So for Obama in 2012, many of these states were won by Black and Latino votes. Some of that shifted in. Um, in the last election, specifically states like Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, and I think a big part of that was voters switching, staying home or voting for a third party. And a lot of that was a result of the major polarization of the last election. And so we'll see whether or not that'll have the same effect in this election, because I think a big part of it is now President Trump doesn't have a that edge. We've had him for four years as a president now. It's not as much of a wild card. We know what having President Trump is as a president. And so now it's a little bit less of a question of a decision to determine what it would be like for him to be in office. So now voters can have a bit more of an informed decision about whether or not they want another four years. And another thing is that arguably Biden is less polarizing than Hillary Clinton was in the last election. I think that's another factor that can really play in to the way in which these uh, swing states play out in the 2020 election. Exactly. So um, obviously there could be multiple causes of this overall shift as we approach the election, but do you think that the outcome of the first debate had a hand in changing the mind of undecided voters at all, and that's why we're seeing a possible shift? You know, I think that has played a role, and really everything that's just happened in the past week has majorly affected a lot of undecided voters. For example, after President Trump contracted COVID-19, Biden went up in the polls by 10 points. So really, there's so much left to be unexpected in this election, and a lot of that is contingent on COVID-19. Yeah, for sure. Um, we were just talking to Professor Oldendick about that, and COVID-19 is definitely a hot topic going into this election, especially after President Trump contracted it. But um, so in terms of undecided voters, what do you think undecided voters should take into account when deciding who to back in the upcoming election. A lot of people are still back and forth with both candidates or with third parties. What do you think they should keep in mind? Right. I think, again, COVID-19 is a really big thing that they should be looking at because, you know, we've seen these policies. We have a good idea of what these politicians look like in terms of health care, in terms of uh, rights about abortion. But a big thing that we're looking at now is how they're able to behave in moments of crisis and unexpected moments, because that's obviously that's something that's going to be inevitable during a presidency. And so I think that's a major thing that undecided voters should be looking at and are looking at. Absolutely. And um, even though as of now, Biden lead, leads in seven of the states that Trump won in 2016, do you think he should be comfortable or do you think he should like not get used to this like how do you think he should go about treating this sudden lead 
Right. So right now, Biden is leading in Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona and Wisconsin. So he has a lot of those swing states right now. And President Trump is leading in Iowa, but only by 0.4 points. So I think it has he has a pretty solid grasp of these swing states. But I also don't think that he should be getting comfortable yet, because, again, all of. All of the information that's just up in the air about this upcoming election, what's going to happen with uh, President Trump and his diagnosis with the coronavirus. Uh, so while, yes, I think he's in a pretty comfortable position right now, I don't think he should be too, too uh, ready to you know, accept, the, accept them as a given. Exactly. There's, there's swing states for a reason. They could go right back for all we know. But um, so another big topic around the whole just elections in general is social media and social media and what's said online does have a large impact on the younger demographic of voters. How do you think what they see online affects how they vote in the polls? You know, I think that has a really great impact on these young voters. And I think an interesting thing to note about this specific election is uh, the rise in popularity of TikTok. And, you know, as silly as it may seem, there are so many young influencers who are using those platforms as a way of educating young people about elections and even talking about them, exchanging their views and engaging in political discourse in a way that might be a little bit unique to that platform. Uh, even news agent news companies like the Washington Post have been using TikTok to reach to that demographic and saying, here's what you should be doing for internships. Here's what you should be doing for voting. This is where you watch the debate. And so I think that social media element has been a really unique way of targeting younger voters in this election. Exactly. And my last question to you is, what if you had one piece of advice to give, what do you want voters to keep in mind as we approach November 3rd, no matter who, if they have preconceived notions of who they're voting for already, or if they're undecided, what do you want everybody to keep in mind? I think the most important thing to be keeping in mind is how politicians' policies will be affecting people who are of, different, of a different privilege than you. So thinking outside of your worldview and thinking about how it might affect people in smaller demographics of different racial demographics. And that's something that we've all been trying to become more aware of since this past summer. But I think it's something that we definitely need to take with us into the polls. Exactly. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. That was WSC political correspondent Stephanie Allen. That's all we have for Politically Inclined this week. Keep checking with us on Mondays at 6 for more on what's going on in politics. Politically Inclined is a production by WSC News and is produced by Stephanie Justice and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Politically Inclined is Julie Crosby and the music for Politically Inclined is called Fluffy by Smith the Mister. You can find other news shows and WSC News podcast at garnetmediagroup.org. Live from WSC News in Columbia, I'm Lydia Blackstone. And I'm Justin Walsh. This is Politically Inclined. We will see you next week.